0: Welcome to the Salt Company Cedar Falls Podcast. We're a ministry of Candeo Church, and we are glad you're listening. All right, all right, all right. What is up, Salt Company, you and I? Yes, my name is Daniel Nemers. And I just have to say, before I really introduce myself, can we all just acknowledge with ruckus passion that Steven Jones is the greatest salt director that has ever existed. <laughs> oh, I love me some Stephen Jones. Stephen and I are BFFs for life. My wife and Natalie are BFFs for life and all three of our kids are born within like two to three months of each other. It has been shocking how that's happened. We're having a little competition. We'll see who wins number four. I've won the last two, no big deal, it doesn't matter. Okay, so my um, name Daniel Nemmers. Some of you guys might know me, but I am planting a church at Illinois State University in the fall of 2022. Yeah. I wanna give like a short snippet of why God called us to Illinois State. Number one, it is a huge party school. And all the students really do is drink their lives away because they don't really feel like their lives matter. So it really is just like depression, but cloaked with a smile. So one minor story about that is most students at Illinois State don't go to class on Wednesday or Thursday morning because of pub Wednesdays. On Wednesdays, they will literally, there's uh, there's a bunch of pubs that have great deals on drinks. So on Wednesday, they will line up at the bar at noon They'll skip classes, line up at the bar at noon, and it'll be such a long line that the line will snake around the bar and start to snake around the streets that are around the bar because so many people want to just drink their life away and waste their life. And if the gospel that I believe is true, Jesus Christ can be spoken into their lives and not just make their lives matter, actually redefine their very identity. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And so what we plan to do is not just go there. We plan to reach these students who are completely wasting their life and actually show them that Jesus redefines who they are and their life matters. And then we're going to send them to plant churches just like what is happening right here. That's what we plan to do. That's what I plan to do. And if you are even remotely interested in that, I've got a table out there. We'll talk and we'll text and it'll be a grand old time. All right, let's get this sermon on the road. Have you ever been in a situation where you had no idea how to respond? Anyone? This happened to me. So my wife, Kayla, and I, it wasn't total love at first sight. I won't lie to you. It was love at first sight for me, not really for her. But I met her when I was 22 years old at a Bible study. Classic, classic. So I meet her on a Sunday night, and old Daniel is spitting game, and I get her number. Can I get an amen, fellas? Come on. So... I don't wait three days to text her because that's stupid. I wanted to make my intentions very clear and I texted her the next morning because shooters got to shoot, am I right? Yeah, ladies, I made my intentions very clear. Let me hear you, you cheer for that because most of the men don't do that. Men, don't slide into their DMs like a stinking wimp. Actually go up to a woman face-to-face after class, after Salt Company and say, hey, I would like your number. I'm very interested in you, okay? I see you're kind of looking down in shame. Probably don't ask that guy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so I made my intentions very clear. I text her the next day. We go on a date on Friday, winning, hello. On Friday, we go to a movie, and I am like laying it on thick. We, I am hitting on her the entire time don't even know what movie we watch. It doesn't even matter. And so at the end, I am a true gentleman, and I am taking her to her car, because that's what we do. So I went to go give her a hug, and she goes, uh-uh. Because <laughs> I, be- I was being clear that I liked her, but I wasn't really being clear about who we were. So she goes, Daniel, I don't play games. What are we? And I was like, it is a week in. What is happening right now? But I'm like amazed that she even is remotely interested in me. So at this moment, how I respond next matters. I could either respond one way and land a woman who is so far out of my league, it is ridiculous, right? Or I could respond in a way that leaves me for the rest of my life thinking, oh, man, what if? What if I wasn't a total moron and wasted my one shot with Kayla Nickel, right? How I respond in that moment matters. Now, what happens when the stakes are way higher? What about when we are confronted with a situation and God Almighty is not just asking us to respond, demanding that we respond? How many times in our walk with Jesus are we confronted with the word of God And we have this fork in the road moment, and we can either choose one of two paths, follow Jesus radically, or choose sin. What path do we normally choose? Most of the time, we choose the path with sin. Here's probably the biggest thing and the worst thing about humanity is not that we don't believe that God exists. The Bible says eternity is written on our hearts. Every single person believes God exists. The worst thing about humanity is that we don't respond to God the way that we should be. We respond to God as if our responses to God don't have eternal implications. Tonight, we're going to be going into one of the most famous parables in all the Bible, and we're going to learn one lesson. If I have just like a title for my message, it's this. Your response to God matters for eternity. Your response to God matters for eternity. Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Boom. All right. I have to give a special thank you to pastors Tim Keller and Mark Vance. They heavily influenced me as I was reading this passage of scripture. We're going to see two men who responded to their father in totally different ways. This is a parable of the prodigal son. Many of you guys have heard this story. But it does not end the way you think it actually will end. All right. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus is telling a parable. It says, Jesus also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Okay, pause. This younger son boldly and arrogantly just walked right up to his father and said, Hey, hey, I know you have a ton of money and I know I have an inheritance coming. Give it to me right now. What he essentially just did was he just said, Hey, hey, I know you're still alive and all, but I want my money now. What he just said was, I would rather you kind of be dead to me, and I would rather just have your money. So an old Jewish traditional, like an old Jewish traditional father, at that moment, if a son literally just said I'd rather you be dead, would have, number one, probably beaten their son. Probably beaten him. What the heck is happening? There we go. Probably beaten their son probably kicked them out of the house and completely disowned them. That's what would have happened. This, this kind of happened in, in my life. I kind of had this younger son moment. I was born and raised in a Christian family. I had a great childhood. Okay, my dad has been a pastor for as long as I could. It's been before I was even born that he's been a pastor. So he has been faithfully loving and following Jesus and preaching the gospel to me like literally every single day of my life. Now, my birth mom passed away when I was not quite three, and my stepmom came into my life, and she she was more of a maid than she was a mom to me. She didn't really mother me. She more so neglected me. But overall, like, people have it a lot worse than me, okay? I had a life where I was constantly being shown Christ. And so I got saved when I was 11, and then when I was 13 years old or 14 years old, I met a girl, and I... Took Jesus and I took my dad and I took my all my family upbringing, threw it in the trash and said, you know what, I'm going to follow whatever will get this girl to love me and approve of me. That was my life. I said, Jesus, you, you've worked for a couple of years now, but I'm going to go ahead and just like disown you and radically follow this girl and do everything and comprom- compromise all of my Christian beliefs just so that I, this girl will maybe love me. Literally did that with my life. I was literally the younger son. I had my younger son moment. Imagining that somehow something could be better and more satisfying and more beautiful and more purposeful for my life than the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's see what happens to the younger son. Look at verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. We're going to find out later that he was essentially getting hammered and spending it on prostitutes and wasting his money like crazy. Look at verse 14. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. Remember that. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would even give him anything. This is his rock bottom moment. You guys ever had one of those? This is his rock bottom moment. Not only is he completely broke, but he as a Jewish man has to go work with pigs. That doesn't, in Iowa, we're like, big deal. Pigs are amazing. Um, To a Jewish person, pigs were seen as unclean. So not only did you not even eat pork, you you didn't even really want to be around pigs. So, so for his boss to be like, hey, yeah, not only do you not really matter, I'm also going to throw you in to just kind of work with the pigs. I'm also not even going to pay you enough for you to be fed. That shows you how horrible this guy's reputation was to his boss. His boss is literally sitting back saying, you know what? Uh, you've, you're probably the worst guy in this town for me to really give a job to, so I'm just going to throw you with the pigs. Rock bottom. He longs to eat the food that is given to the pigs that is inconsumable to the human body. I had a rock bottom moment in my life. So the second I start dating that girl when I was 14, we break up, shocker, we break up. But right at that moment, I start to just cave on everything in the gospel and just start radically following my own sin. And so at the age of 14, I was a borderline drug addict and alcoholic and just dove into a party lifestyle like I've never even seen. And that happened for five years straight. Literally my life goals were, can I get laid this weekend? How many drugs can I take? And how hammered can I get? And is there a cool party that I can go to? And if all of those things happened perfectly, I'm like, oh, that that was great. Let me just tell you, pretty much none of them all worked out perfectly ever. But that was my life goal. And I just kept doing it. Hamster wheel of insanity. I was going really, really fast, but pretty much going nowhere. But I thought one day I might get somewhere. And so when I'm 19 years old, I'm dating a different girl. I'm a drug addict loser. She's valedictorian of our class. Match made in heaven. It was perfect. So she, I don't know. We had, we had this great relationship in the eyes of the world. We were having sex all the time, we were going to parties all the time, we were getting hammered together, doing drugs together. I'm like, man, how could it get any better than this? And out of nowhere, she just breaks up with me. And I'm like, whoa, 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 why are you breaking up with me? She goes, well, I'll I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. Three reasons, you're a drug addict, you're going nowhere in life and your friends are idiots. I'll never forget it. You're a drug addict, you're going nowhere in life and your friends are idiots all three perfectly true. I know I was like high out of my mind in those days, but I'm like a realist. Like when I heard her say that, I was like, okay, yep, you're correct. And I just got in my car and I just bawled my eyes out on the way home. And I just remember, I've never, I don't think I've ever been depressed, but if there's ever a moment where I was depressed or a season where I was depressed, it was right then. For two months straight, I literally didn't want to go a waking moment even remembering remotely what she was talking about because I knew what she said was true. And so I spent and drained my entire bank account so that every single day I could, every waking moment, I could be out of my mind. But then I ran out of money because drugs are expensive. Can I get an amen? No, don't amen that. Okay, (laughs) drugs are expensive. (laughs) Some dude in the back, amen. Oh. So drugs are expensive, write that down. And then, so, so I run out. And so I go to my job totally sober for the first time in months. And let me tell you how glorious my job was at the moment. I, this is my job. Huge farm equipment would come into our warehouse and my one job was to scrape grease off of farm equipment all day long. Glorious job. I was really just killing it with my potential. So all day long, I would be scraping off grease, and all this grease would just fall into a huge pile around me. First day at that job, I'm completely sober. I actually start to think about what she said. And the Holy Spirit was pricking my heart. And I literally was like, Daniel, she's right. You are a drug addict. You are literally going nowhere in life. Look at you. And your friends are idiots and you act just like them. So who, you are who you surround yourself with. And I literally was so crushed with conviction and guilt that I fell to my knees in this pile of grace and I couldn't believe who I was anymore. Rock bottom moment. Just like this younger son. I was spiritually starved. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know who I was just like this younger son. So what would he do? Look at verse 17. When he came to his senses, a little bit like me, sitting in my pile of grease, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I know what I'll do. I'll I'll get up, I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. Have you ever messed up so badly that you know you have to go apologize to somebody, so you're like rehearsing in your mind how perfectly you're going to say it and how perfectly the scenario is going to go? Right? That's literally what he's doing. He's like, okay, you can like imagine him on the road like, okay, dad, I really messed up. I'm a bad kid. No, 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 that's not good. Okay. I've sinned. I've sinned yet before, before you. Just... Can I come on it? No, 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 no. Okay, so I've sinned before heaven and earth. Just make me like one of your hired servants. You don't even have to consider me as, as your son anymore. And he's like, all right, I nailed it. That's it. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to at least survive the rest of my life. This is his shame speech. It's his shame speech. And he's practicing it over and over and over again. Look at verse 20. What happens? So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with, what's that word? Come on, Saul, you and I, are you even reading right now? Come on, look at, look at verse 20. So he got up and went to his father, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with what? Compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father... I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was found and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This is literally the moment that the father has been waiting for. Did you see that? verse 20, he's, he's literally waiting for his son to come home. Look at verse 20. He says, while the son was still a long way off, probably just like a speck on the horizon, his father saw him, probably saw and understood the way that he walked and knew, that's my son. And he was filled with compassion. And he gets up and runs to his son, runs to his son. And then look, look at verse 21. The son can't even finish his whole speech that he gets prepared. Did you notice that? He gets totally cut off. He's like, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be a call your son. Da, 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 who cares? The father's just like, yeah, yeah, anyways, anyways. Hey, servants, come here, come here, come here. Bring the robe, bring the ring, bring the sandals. Slaughter the fattened calf. That's a big deal. Slaughter the fattened calf. Throw this guy a huge party. My son was lost, and now he's found. My son was dead, but now he's alive. Can you believe it? Greatest moment of his father's life. What a great story. Are you all encouraged? Do you all want to go home now? That's not the end of the story, is it? Almost every single time I've heard this preached, it's been like, hey, man, run back to God. And they completely neglect the back half of the story. Because this, this, is, this isn't really actually a story that has a good kind of just tying of the bow on top ending. Look at verse 25. Now the older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So, so he summoned one of the servants questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him. And, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could even celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, by the way, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Rough response. This older son is working in the field, slaving away the moment that this happens. All of a sudden, he, he can hear, like, music. Maybe, like, hears people shouting and laughing and all these this party essentially happening. He's like, what is going on? He hears that it's his brother, and he gets so angry. But he's not mad at his brother. Who's he mad at? Tell me. His father. He's mad at his father. Look at it. Look at verse 28. Uh, look at verse twenty-eight. then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out, not his brother. His father came out and just pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders. Doubt it. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not his brother, you notice that? When this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. This response tells you all you need to know about an older brother's heart. He says three phrases that tell you all you need to know about an older brother's heart. First phrase is this, I've been slaving away. I've been working my tail off for this. I didn't abandon you, dad. I've been working my tail off for this. This older brother imagines that the father's love is a transactional love. So my two oldest kids are Annabelle and Finn. Annabelle is three years old. Finn is two years old. We call Finn Bubba. I'm not actually sure he knows his real name, but either way, Annabelle and Finn. And so they're at the age where every single night before they go to bed, they like desperately want me to hug them and kiss them like four or five times before they feel like it's okay to go to sleep now. I know that they're just buying time, but I enjoy it. Okay, so they, they go through this every single night, hug daddy, kiss daddy. And I'm like, all right, good night. wait, wait. wait. I need a hug and a kiss. Okay, all right, I'll do it again. Like literally four or five times a night. Now, Finn and Annabelle don't necessarily have a good performance when it comes to picking up all of their toys. They're actually terrible at it. They get like an F minus. That's their grade. Toys are literally everywhere every single night. So what if I was the kind of dad who the second nighttime came, and they're like, Dad, I I need a hug. I was like, um, hmm, let me think about it. Your performance was terrible today. Look at the toys in the toy room. Look at all the toys in the living room. You didn't clean them up. Sorry, slam the door shut. Good night. (laughs) I would be a terrible dad. Be a horrible dad. Because a father's love is not transactional. But yet this older son is looking, he's saying, he's saying, look at what I've done. I've been slaving away for for you, dad. I deserve more love than anyone else. That's the first phrase. The next phrase is, I have never disobeyed you, dad, really. Not one time, older son, have you ever disobeyed your dad? I find that shockingly unbelievable. There's no way. The older brother heart remembers his greatest moments and forgets his obvious failures. Do you have an older brother heart? The third phrase is this. You never even gave me a goat, which sounds weird. He's he's saying, like, you didn't even really even give me a small thing in life. An older brother heart is completely entitled. Have you guys ever been around that one or two and, like, one of of your, like, super entitled friends where they kind of grew up with a silver spoon that everything handed to them? What happens the second something minorly difficult happens in their life? they throw a hissy fit, don't they? Like, oh, why is life so hard, uh, adulting? Like that's somebody who's been entitled their whole life, right? Literally, they're kind of sitting back saying, uh, you know what, you, actually, it's not my problem. It's your problem, dad. All of a sudden, th- this person is rewriting history with an entitlement mindset just to fit their hissy fit narrative. That's an older brother heart. And so how does the story end? I'm sure the the father just tees off on this guy, right? Look at verse 31. Son, he said to him. Maybe some some of your Bibles say, child, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. Because this brother of yours, you notice that? This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. And then the story is just done. That's the story. It's like this awkward cliffhanger where you're like so terrible ending. I want us to go to the beginning of chapter 15. Because this parable is actually the tail end of three parables. And they're all in front of the same crowd. And this crowd is important because Jesus is trying to get this crowd to respond. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. All the tax collectors, the bad boy idiots, and sinners were approaching to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees, a.k.a. the Christian buttheads, go ahead and write that down. And the Pharisees... And scribes were complaining, saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This is two completely different crowds. The scumbag people of that society that everyone hated, and they never had an identity, never felt like they belonged, and the religious elite who thought that they were better than everybody. This is the crowd that Jesus is talking to. So let's look at verse 3. I want us to go through the first two parables before that. We're just going to skim right over them. The first two have the exact same type of repetition. Something that is lost, is found, they have a search party, they find it, throw a party. Look at verse three. So he told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? And when he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together saying to them, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Something lost, lost sheep. Search party to go find it. They find it. Come back. Have a huge celebration. All right, boom. Let's go to the parable of the lost coin, verse eight. Or what woman who has 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and saying, rejoice with me because I, I, I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you in the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. There it is again. You saw it, you saw it, right? Precious coin lost. Search party happens. They find it. Come on, let's have a party. But then the parable of the lost son flips the script. There's one thing missing, there was no search party. Why? No search party. Someone should have been searching for that younger brother and it should have been the older brother. The older brother should have spent his money His time, his energy, everything he possibly could have to go get the younger brother and bring him in, but he doesn't. So when the younger son gets the robe and the ring and the sandals and the calf, that's technically the older brother's inheritance. The younger son coming back to the family cost the older brother something. So the older brother doesn't pursue the younger brother because he wants to keep what is rightfully his. He'd rather see the younger brother rot than the family be restored. This story isn't just an invitation for the younger sons to come back. It's a confrontation of the older sons who don't have the heart of God. So why did they respond that way? That's the question. If our response to God matters for eternity, why do these two brothers respond the way that they do? Let's look at the younger brother. A pastor brought up this question. Why is he running when he has a perfect dad? This is literally like if you could draw up a dad, you want this dad, right? Why would he run away from a family when he has literally the perfect dad? Mark Vance would argue that he's actually running away from his older brother. His older brother is constantly destroying him, constantly putting him down. His older brother couldn't even wait to disown him. Did you notice that? He's like, This son of yours, he couldn't even wait to disown him. The younger brother was so convinced that what his older brother said was true that he ran away because he was ashamed of who he was. So he drowned himself in worthless living. Most people run to drinking, partying, and and sex because they don't know how else to shut off the pain. That was my story. I didn't know it, but the reason I ran to that lifestyle was because I didn't know how to cope with losing my mom. So the only way I could shut off the pain was looking for approval anywhere else. my lifestyle was more of a shame-filled cry for help than it was outright rebellion. My lifestyle was actually a shame speech, a five-year shame speech. Is this you? Deep down, you are wrecked because of what somebody else has been saying to you maybe an older brother. You're flooded with a sense of worthlessness and shame. Is the life you're living a shame speech that's actually a cry for help? Every single room has somebody like that. But the response of the younger brother is to run into the arms of the father in repentance and humility. And in the end, he received sonship. He was restored. He was lost and then he was found. But what about the older brother? Why does he respond the way that he did? Because Remember, this is a story of two lost sons. One is rampant unrighteousness of the younger brother. Rampant unrighteousness. And the other son, the older son, he's lost because of self-righteousness. A.K.A. there are two roads to hell. The high road and the low road. The high road to hell is this. The high road attitude is this. A high road attitude has a ton of moral superiority. Look, you never gave me anything. I worked hard. I did good. You owe me. But at the end of the day, he's outside of the party. At the end of the day, he's outside of the party. His lust, that's what it is. His lust for a great performance is so distracting that he doesn't even realize he's outside of the joy of that entire household. What the older brother has is legalism. If we're writing down a term, legalism is this. Doing things for God in order to be loved by God. Doing things for God in order to be loved by God. Many of us do this. I struggle with this constantly. And if you do, you imagine that what you do will bring salvation. And then after that, what you do will actually equal forgiveness and freedom on your daily walk with Jesus. And Christian, do you wonder why many of you don't feel forgiven? Have you ever asked that question? Why don't you feel forgiven? I think it's because every single day from day one, you viewed God as, okay, my works plus consistency equals forgiveness. My great works plus consistently being perfect at them equals a fleeting kind of feeling of forgiveness. I'm telling you. You will wreck your life if you continue to see God that way. You will rock around bitter at God, bitter at people, and in the end, you'll be outside the party and you might push others outside of the party. In my own story, older brothers were the, were the reason that I actually wanted to stay in the pile of grease rather than run back to church. I think there's something about an older brother that tricks you into thinking that a lifestyle away from God is the best option. And I think you trick yourself into thinking, okay, at least I'm not going to be around that guy, that girl. Many people don't want to come to God because children of God have a hard time acting like children of God. So the response of the older brother is to run to entitlement, pride, bitterness, anger and resentment and actually his response led him to being outside of the party and dragging his father out of the party too which actually leads us to the true hero of the story the father i want you to read i want to read his reaction to both sons and i want you to think of one character quality that you see one character quality look at verse 20 so the younger son got up Went to his father, and while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. Pop down to verse 28. Then the older brother became so angry and didn't want to go in, so his father actually came out and pleaded with him. Look at verse 31. Son, he said to him, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You want to know what the one character quality I see? Gentleness. You want to know what gentleness is? Gentleness is power under control. Gentleness is power under control. The father here has all the cards. He has all the power. He has all the money. He has all the fortune. He has everything. He holds all the cards. He has all the power, but yet he's gentle. Power under control. The father is confronted by an unrighteous, foolish, stupid, younger son who wants him dead, and he kisses him and welcomes him back in the family. That's crazy, but I can kind of understand it. The one that I don't understand is his reaction to the older son. You guys got to understand it. This moment when he's throwing a huge party for all of his neighbors and all of his community, this is literally probably the biggest moment of this father's life. And his older son is dragging him outside because he's having a little hissy fit. If I was this guy's dad, I don't care how old he is, I'm probably bending him over my knee and spanking him. Like, I don't know what else to do. Like, I would tee off on this guy. But what does he do? Look at verse 31. Listen to the gentleness. Son, you are always with me. Look at this line. And everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. He's saying, son, child, everything I have is yours. Everything I am. Every possession is yours. It always has been. But son, your brother is back. What kind of father would I be if I didn't see my son who was wasting his life and coming back to our family? What kind of father would I be if I didn't just welcome him in with joy? This is all I've ever wanted. The father is gentle. Is this not who God is to us? When I was 19 years old, after that pile and grease moment, I got up. Took a shower, (laughs) started to read my Bible, and God started to slowly chip away at my hardened heart. And I went up to my dad, and with tears in my eyes, literally like the ugly crying, like for sure snot was happening. I just didn't really, really know what was happening. I was just so overcome with emotion. I went up to my dad, and I just said, "Would you please forgive me for being the worst son that could have possibly existed for five years?" And he just smiled gave me a hug, and said, son, you know I forgive you. It wasn't even a thought. That's what a true father does. A good father is gentle. A good father is one who no matter how many times his kids mess up, he's the one running to them. He's the one kissing them. He's the one allowing them to fail upwardly which is sinning and knowing that they still have a house to stay because the Father wants them to make progress and not perfection. That's our Heavenly Father, amen? Our Heavenly Father is gentle. He has all the power, and yet His power is under control. Your response to God matters for eternity. Which means how you respond to God tonight matters for eternity. So tonight I'm going to ask you one question. Which brother are you? Maybe you lean towards one. Maybe you're more the older brother. If I'm being honest, I think there's probably more older brothers in this room. Maybe maybe you really, really resonate with the younger brother. Or maybe you're like me. At times you're like, "Eh," kind of in the middle. Just depends on the day. Which brother are you right now? The older brother, older brothers in the room, which is probably a lot of you, this is how you need to respond to God. Repentance and celebration. Repentance and celebration. Repentance is turning from your sin and walking towards Jesus. Your sin is pride and arrogance. You want to know how you can actively take a hammer to your pride? Listen to this. You understand who you are. If you're the older brother you should see yourself in the drunk college student puking in the hallway. If you're the older brother, you should see yourself posting that picture that is clearly starving for attention. If you're the older brother, you should see yourself in that student who is an inch away from ending their life. If you're the older brother, you should see yourself in the center center on their knees, repenting to Jesus for the first time because you were right there at one point and God still brought you in. God ran to you when you were there and still brought you into his joy. You wanna know how how else you can actively take a hammer to your pride, you celebrate others. Notice how the father is just like, just come celebrate with us, just come celebrate with us. Stephen Jones and I used to work together at Salt Company Lames. Can I get an amen? Salt Lames, yes. And one of my biggest issues was that I was constantly comparing myself to Stephen. And so what I would do was kind of try to like be funnier than him. Whenever people would, would think he was funnier, I'd be like, oh, here's a one up joke, right? Instead of celebrating the fact that he was gifted in different ways than me, I would try to overshadow him. And in the end, I would not only rob his joy, I would rob everyone around me's joy because I was so insecure and prideful and arrogant. So I had a moment and I was like, that's not Stephen's fault. That's my fault. And so what I started to do was I actually started to celebrate wins that Stephen would do And it made me so joyful because all of a sudden it wasn't about Daniel's kingdom that he was trying to build. It was about Jesus' kingdom that he was going to build. I stopped trying to catch Stephen doing something wrong and actually started to try to catch him doing something right. Do you do that? You want to know how you can celebrate this week? Try to catch somebody doing something right in your connection group. And if you're wondering who it should be, it's probably the person that you're most insecure around. The person that you really don't wanna catch doing something right is the person that you should catch doing something right. You take a hammer to your pride by repenting of your sin and then actively going and celebrating others around you. Maybe you're the younger brother. You need to respond to God in repentance and humility. When was your rock bottom moment? Maybe it's happening right now. Maybe it's been this semester. Maybe this semester has been one of the most unhealthy semesters of your life. The prodigal son was foolishly extravagant in his spending. You saw that, right? Which means he spent what he actually didn't even have. Your heavenly father did the same thing. And it cost him his own son. One of the reasons it was so painful for the older brother was that the younger brother got what was his It would have cost the older brother something to bring the younger brother in. We have the true older brother in Jesus Christ, amen? And and Jesus didn't just, just seek us out. He actually paid our way back into the family by giving his own body on the cross. And he paid your way so that you could even have a shot to get into the family of God. Younger brother, if you repent and humble yourself, and place your faith in King Jesus, you'll realize that God will be waiting for you to come to him. Waiting. And the second he sees you, he's going to run to you. And you're going to come to him with your shame speech, and he's going to totally cut you off. And he does that by you having this unbelievable moment of awe and celebration while you're worshiping right after this, while you're praying and you're overcome with emotion and it's because you're all of a sudden understanding and believing in the one who not only just makes you feel forgiven, he actually does forgive you and he brings you into the family of God. Would tonight be the night where you actually run back to Jesus in true faith and become a child of his? God, I thank you so much for Salt Company. I thank you for what you're doing in the story you're writing here at and I. God, I know that at moments in my life, I have had the heart of both brothers. I started off as the younger brother sitting back, imagining that I could find some sort of satisfaction and happiness outside of your son, Jesus. And so I ran, I completely ran away. I wasted everything about me. I dove into sin. I dove into my shame But then one day I felt so guilty that I decided, you know, I'm going to come back to my father. And God, you welcomed me with open arms. God, I, I pray for the younger brothers in this room, the younger sisters in this room, that they would actually run back to you. Maybe it's somebody who doesn't actually know you, that they would place their faith in you. Or maybe it's somebody who's been a Christian for years, maybe even decades, and they felt like there was no possible way that you would be gentle enough to welcome them back. God, I pray that they would realize that that father in that story is you. Your reaction would be watching from a distance, seeing that first step that, you walk, that they walk towards you and you would run to them, open arms, hugging them, being affectionate with them, saying, let's throw a party. God, I pray that they would actually draw near. God, I pray for, for the older brothers, the older sisters in this room that, that have actually, they never even realized it, but they have been arrogant. They've been imagining that they can somehow muster up more love from you. God, I pray that they would actually repent of their sins and that they would actively look at all the younger brothers and younger sisters in this room and start to celebrate them so that your kingdom can grow and grow and grow and their closeness and love for you Will grow even more. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salt Company Cedar Falls podcast. For more information about Salt Company, you can visit saltcedarfalls.com.